Well, just as I did last week, I decided I was going to preach our Sunday school lesson. And so if you're not in the habit of staying for Sunday school, I would encourage you to do so. We're in some good lessons right now in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And last week we took a look at how Joshua and the Israelites went in and defeated Jericho by following God's plan. But today we're going to see them defeated by not following God's plan. So Joshua chapter 7 this morning is where we are. Joshua 7, and I want to begin reading in verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim, struck them down on the descent, so the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel. They put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why didst thou ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. They will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do for thy great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they've even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they've also put them among their own things. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. There are certain individuals throughout the history of mankind that have affected whole nations by their actions. If I were to mention certain names this morning to you, it would evoke responses of, in your attitude or in your heart because of things they did that affected your life. No doubt I could name names of presidents and what happened in your life during the terms of that president. Some would be positive, some might be negative. But there are individuals who, by their sin, affect us. I think of names like Ted Bundy, who murdered and mutilated 100 women. Maybe that didn't affect you personally, but that's one name I believe affected our nation. 
And in this service, you would probably remember the name Charles Manson. And what took place? Maybe that was before your time, but if not, you know, he and his family, quote, family, caused havoc throughout the United States, especially California. But what about things more recent? It's been 21 years ago now, but what about the, the terrorist attacks of 9-11? Can you believe it's been that long? How about shootings at Sandy Hook, at Columbine, or much more recently, Uvalde, Texas? How about the Oklahoma City bombing? And we could just go on and on. How about the name of Lee Harvey Oswald? Does that name evoke certain feelings within you? If you can remember the events of November 22nd of 1963, it does, as he assassinated President John F. Kennedy. I know exactly where I was sitting and what I was doing on that day. I was sitting at a table in my kindergarten class with Mrs. Rogers as our teacher. One man's actions affected an entire nation, but you would never know that name if it wasn't for what took place. Well, that, that's what we find here in Joshua chapter 7. We find an individual named Achan, and his sin affected the entire nation of Israel. And before you disconnect from this message, let me just say this. Don't you sit there this morning and think that your sin and your actions don't affect the lives of other people. Because they do. Very much so. I mean, you wouldn't even know anything about Achan if it wasn't for his sin. He didn't hold a position of authority that we know of or a position of leadership. He, he didn't lead some big ministry. As far as we know, he was just a common person in his tribe. And yet his sin drastically affected the entire nation. Now, if you go back and read in Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, Joshua had warned the people to stay away from the devoted things, the things under the ban. It was, was the principle of first fruits, that the first fruits belong to God. Jericho is the first battle when they enter the promised land. And so everything in that battle was devoted to God. They, they weren't to touch it. They weren't to take any of the spoils. And there was a warning that went with it. And this is the warning from verse 18 that you would bring disaster upon yourself and you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But when you look at verse 3 here, Joshua 7 verse 3, they had been victorious at Jericho because they had done what God had said. They had obeyed God. God told them specifically what they were supposed to do. March around the city, blow the trumpets and shout. It was really unusual, but they did what God said, and they won. And so now in verse 3, they think AI is going to be a piece of cake. The spies come back from AI and said, this is nothing. Don't send everybody. Just two or 3,000 men need go. We've got this one in the bag. But in verse 4, they got up there and they were defeated. They were confident after Jericho, but now in verse 5, their hearts had melted and become like water. What brought about the defeat? One word, 
three letters, and I'm in the middle. Sin. Sin. And let me give you some incredibly good advice this morning. Don't ever forget it. What is it that brings about the defeats in your life and my life? Same thing. Sin. Sin. Sin always brings defeat. So what did Achan do? Well, if you go over into verse 21, he's confessing to Joshua and the nation of Israel. He tells them what he'd done, what he had stolen, what he had hidden in his tent. He, no doubt he had probably thought, man, what a steal, what it take, no one had seen him do it. So he thought, except God. How many of you were told by your parents as you grew up to not get into trouble? <laughs> right? Be smart, make wise decisions. Behave, be good, don't be influenced by people to do something today that will have destructive consequences tomorrow. Remember who you are, be a leader, don't be a follower, don't, don't get caught doing something you shouldn't do because someone will always see you. Someone will find out, as the scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. And God sees everything that you do. Everything I do. And God saw Achan. So notice what happens. In verse 11, what does God say? <clears throat> God says, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. They have taken some of the things under the ban. They have stolen. They have deceived. They have put them among their own things. And what's your, what's your first response to that? Whoa, 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 whoa. God, you've got it all wrong. You're way off base here, God. It's not Israel. It's Achan. It's not the nation. It's just this one man. It's Achan. We're good at doing that, aren't we? We're good at saying, I'm not responsible for that. I'm not at fault. That wasn't my area of responsibility. They didn't ask me. If they would have asked me, I would have told them not to do that. But they didn't ask me. I'm not responsible. We're good at saying that. But are we responsible? Was Israel responsible for Achan's actions? It's been said that all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. God said Israel has sinned. Not just Achan. Well, what was the sin of Israel then? Maybe it was the sin of carelessness. Carelessness marked by, for one thing, pride. You look at verse 3 again. They thought, hey, we beat Jericho. We've done it before. We can do it again. Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. You see, they made a mistake there. They thought Jericho was their victory. Uh-uh. It was God's victory. They thought it was their victory, and so they became overconfident. And listen, when people don't give God the credit for His mighty deeds among them, they begin to think they did it, that they deserve the credit. Look what we've done. We've started this ministry. We've built these buildings. We've, we've won all these people to Christ, and, and, and it's, we've done this. You need to read the story of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. What happened to him when he went out one day and looked over his vast kingdom 
and said, all of this has happened because of what I've done. And what did God do to Nebuchadnezzar? He humbled him, absolutely. Made him live among the wild animals with his hair growing out and his fingernails becoming, I just read the story, until he woke up and confessed that God was God, the God of heaven and earth. Folks, we've got to give God the glory. He has blessed us so incredibly. It's not about what we've done. It's not our victory. It's His. It's God's. And so the Israelites, I think, were marked by pride. Proverbs 16, 18, you know the verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And boy, we see that happen here with the Israelites. But not only were they marked by pride, I think they were marked by presumption. Their confidence turned to arrogance. They said, send just two to 3,000 to take it. That's in verse 3. Don't make all the people go up there because just a few people are in AI. They're arrogant. At Jericho, God gave victory because people trusted in Him. Now they're at AI and they're trusting in themselves and as a result, they're defeated. Verse 4 tells us that. And catch this, if you miss the whole rest of the message, get this part. It's not the Jerichos that defeat most people, it's the AIs. Really? It's not always the big things of life that destroy people, but, but the little things. Remember Samson? A he-man with a she-weakness? Uh, he's a strong man, and he could whip armies. He could kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, but he couldn't resist Delilah. So Israel's guilty of carelessness, marked by pride and marked by presumption, and I think it might have been marked by prayerlessness too. Prayerlessness. There is no record of their praying or seeking God before they go to Ai. Now Joshua falls on the ground and prays in verses 6 through 9, but that's after the defeat. When they go up against Jericho in chapter 6, what had Joshua done before they went? Remember, he left camp, we talked about it last week, and he eventually meets the commander of the Lord's army. Why did Joshua go out there so close to Jericho? Do you not think he's seeking God? Contemplating what God wants him to do? how God had told him to be strong and courageous, how God was going to give them the land. I think he's praying as a part of that time. But there's no record of them seeking God in chapter 7. And they're defeated. And after the defeat, now Joshua is praying. <laughs> Aren't we like that a lot of the times too? How many times do we wait until we've made a complete mess of things to pray? And why is it so often that prayer is not our first thought, but it's our last resort? We try everything in the world to do things our way and then wonder why it doesn't work. And then we say, God, help us. Why not ask him at the beginning? So Israel's carelessness, I think, was marked by pride and presumption and prayerlessness. Is not our nation marked by the same things today? 
Well, if carelessness was the sin of Israel, the sin of Achan was covetousness. Covetousness. Notice in verse 21 what Achan says when he's been discovered by Joshua. He says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. The tenth commandment says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. A part of God's covenant with Israel. And the last of the Ten Commandments, don't covet. What does it mean to covet? Webster's Dictionary defines it as a longing to possess what belongs to another. To have a, to have a strong desire, to desire unreasonably or unlawfully, or possibly a sinful desire. So... Thou shalt not have a longing for, or a strong desire for, or an unreasonable or unlawful or sinful desire for your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. But Achan did. Achan had a strong, sinful desire for that which belonged to who? To God. God. And as a result, Achan's sin led directly to Israel's defeat at Ai. Achan's sin led directly to the death of 36 men, as you read the account. Achan's sin led directly to his own death. Achan's sin led directly to the death of his sons and daughters. It's interesting as you read the account, Achan, his sons and daughters, his wife isn't mentioned. Don't know if she'd already died or if she escaped the punishment. The Bible doesn't say. And Achan's sin led directly to the destruction of all of his possessions. What will your sin do to you? What will your coveting do to you? And how many people will be affected by your sin? This isn't the only example of coveting in the Bible. I, there are several accounts of people that coveted things. I, I think of 1 Kings chapter 21 with Ahab who goes out and there's a vineyard right next to a piece of ground he has. It's owned by Naboth. He tries to strike a deal with Naboth, said, hey, I'll pay you for it. Just set the price and Naboth won't sell his vineyard. It's been in his family, it's his inheritance, and he's not going to sell it. And so Ahab gets mad, upset, goes home and pouts and crawls on his bed. And his wife Jezebel comes home and says, what's wrong with you? And he says, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. She says, aren't you the king of Israel? Get up. I'll take care of it for you. She gets a couple worthless men that at a feast that Naboth attends, they accuse him of cursing God and the king. And so he is taken out and stoned to death. And she comes back and says, go down and take possession of your vineyard. 
He goes down, he's in the vineyard, and God sends his man, Elijah, to confront him. Have you murdered Ahab and now have taken possession? In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, they'll lick up your blood too. Because Ahab coveted, had a sinful, unlawful desire for something that wasn't his. And his covetousness led directly to the death of Naboth. And that, compounded with all of his other sins, led to his death. And Jezebel, the dogs would lick up her flesh and eat her remains at Jezreel. Never anything good that comes out of coveting. 2 Kings chapter 5 is another example. Remember the story of Elisha and his servant Gehazi? Naaman the leper comes down and uh, Elisha just sends word through Gehazi telling him to go uh, dip himself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman doesn't want to do that but eventually he's convinced to do it and on the seventh time he's cleansed from his leprosy. Well, he comes back to Elisha and wants to give Elisha a gift, and Elisha refuses the gift. So Naaman takes off and goes back home, but Gehazi thinks, well, I'll go get something. So he sneaks off, and he goes after Naaman, stops him, and says, some of the prophets have just come, and uh, we could use a couple sets of clothing and some other things, and so Naaman gives him everything that he asked for, and he goes back and and stores it away, hides it away, goes back in, stands before Elisha, and Elisha says, Where you been, Gehazi? Oh, I haven't been any place. Do you not think that my spirit went with you, and I've seen what you've done? And therefore, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and all of your descendants. Don't ever think your sin only affects you. It affects others. And Gehazi's sin of covetousness led directly to him having leprosy and leprosy coming upon his household down through the generations. Wow. i got to tell you folks, this is not a difficult message to understand, is it? Be sure your sin will find you out. Even if you think it's gone undetected, God sees it. God knows. He'll call you to account for it. Don't ever think that your sin only affects you. Because it affects others. Look what it did to Israel. Look what it did to Achan's family. Can you imagine as they take Ahab out to stone him to death, along with his sons and daughters, what must his sons and daughters have thought at that point? And if he had a little boy or a little girl looking up at him in his eyes, in his face, how would you have explained it? Does God take sin seriously? Yes, he does. Do we? Do we take 
sin seriously. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your word, what it teaches. And Father, the message today I think is very clear for us to see. You do take sin seriously. Our sins will find us out. And our sins affect not only us. Sometimes it can affect an entire nation. So, Father, help us to see our sin as you see it. For we know, Father, that every one of us is guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And, Father, when we sin, help us to seek your face. Give us a heart of sorrow that leads us to repent so that we can be in a right relationship with you. And thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that has never, ever lost its power and that still can cleanse us from our sin today. We praise you for that. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to confess sin, who needs to rid themselves of sin, who needs to turn to Christ for that forgiveness and for the gift of eternal life, I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would prompt them and lead them to make those decisions they need to make today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.